great to have you be with us today. Diego, good to see you, man. All right, I just want to pre-warn you, I am super, super excited about this message today. I really, really am. I, I truly believe, I know for the last 17 months that we've been together, 18 months, it's, we've all been on a journey. And you've heard me say it many times of discovery, discovery who God is and discovering who you are to God. And once you catch that and believe it, your life takes on a completely different shape and different form. Today we're going to continue on this series of covenants, but I'm excited because there's some things that I'm going to uh, double down on that I believe with all of my heart. If somebody will say, you know what, I believe that, it will cause you to see everything differently in life. I'm, I'm telling you, it's some things that are remarkable in these set of passages, and as difficult for me last week was to not make it as a lecture, but to make it something that you could partake of and digest, uh, this one's going to be very different. We're going we're gonna to dive into something that if you fully, not fully, if you begin to understand the simplicity of this covenant that God has made with every single one of us, you start to live, and there is a song that we sang, the first song, it says, I don't know, remember the words exactly, but it says the weight has been lifted off because now grace is upon us, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. So if you have a chance, uh, turn in your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 8, verse number 16. The title of this, or the subtitle of this message, is a clear conscience. A clear conscience. Imagine living life with a clear conscience, no matter what you have done in your past. The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. It's not on the screen. He said, I have wronged no one. I have harmed no one. Now, does anybody know who Paul was before he was Paul? He was who? Saul. And what did he do? He wronged many and he harmed many people. And yet he stood before the people of God and he was able to say with a clear conscience, I have wronged nobody, I have harmed nobody. Why? Because he was a new what? A new creature in Christ. Amen? So Hebrews chapter 8, we can put that on the screen, verse number 6. It says these words, but now he has obtained, speaking of Jesus, a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also the mediator, we talked about that last week, of a better covenant which is established on better promises. So we have a more excellent ministry, we are partakers of a better covenant and that covenant is on better promises. Now, there's some great promises in the Old Testament. If you've ever watched it, it said, if you do this, I will do this. I mean, amazing. You'll eat the best of the land. You are the head and not the tail. If you obey me, you're going to walk in and come out with the blessings of God. There's favor all over your life. And so it was a very transactional, but there are some great promises. But we have what? Better promises than those who are under the old covenant. For if that first covenant had been what? Faultless. You guys, are you guys sleeping back there? I, you don't have the message? There it is. Nope. Hebrews chapter 8. All right. They're, they're, they're having a little meeting back there. At least Nico's not back there, right, Nico? It says this, for if that first covenant had been faultless, which means this, it had fault with it, it was flawed. Why was it flawed? Because it could not make man right. It could only tell him how to be or act right. 
So it said, this is the standard, but it could not make you right. And we shared the example, if you see a speed limit that says 35 miles an hour, somebody was just being really mean, right? Like, nobody can obey 35 miles an hour, right? And everybody's like, what are you talking about, Justin? It's, you're a pastor. Then no place would have been sought for a second. Now look at verse 8. Because finding fault with who? Them. So the old covenant that had promises that God made with mankind, that covenant led to him finding fault with everyone that he saw. So the old covenant revealed the sinfulness of man. Therefore, God now in that covenant saw fault with man. That's why they had to erect a tabernacle so that a man could come every year before the priest and then what would the priest do? The priest would receive the lamb and set the sacrifice and then bring it before God as an altar of incense. And so what happens, he was forgiven of his sin for that moment. But God found fault with people. It's very important. He said, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, I want to say this statement, and I want to explain what I mean by it. In the new covenant, God does not see fault in you. In your spouse, yes, but not. In your children, of course. Speak the truth, right? Yes, but not in you. No, no, under the new covenant, God doesn't see fault in you. Now, that's hard to receive. Why? Because all you have to do is look in the mirror. And you can now give the Lord a list of things that need to be fixed in your life. It doesn't, it doesn't mean he doesn't see the wrong that you have done. Because he disciplines those that he loves. But he doesn't see fault in you because he's made you what? A new creation in Christ Jesus. Your new man in Christ, he sees you just as he sees Christ. And this is where people get a hard time is, well, he knows what I've done, yes, but he does not identify you to what he's done. He identifies you to what Jesus did. That's the power of identification. So when God looks at you, he first and foremost looks at who? The spotless lamb of God. And if that lamb is still spotless, still sitting at the right hand of God who has justified those who have received him, he looks at us and goes, innocent. Does he ignore what we've done? Certainly not. He will correct it, and he will discipline it, and he will remind us of those things that they are not what? That's not who you are. So he no longer, he no longer deals with who I used to be. What is that? He, yeah, you can come. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, is she on the speakerphone? Her name's Kathy. Kathy? I have you on speakerphone. This is the one that had the heart attack? Yeah. She just. Hey, Kathy, are you there? She's an ICU. Okay, Kathy, we're here. Our church is called New Day in Illinois. We're just going to pray for you, okay? Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, would you just put your hand on your heart? 
So, Father, right now, we and all my brothers and sisters here, we just release the power of God into that hospital room. We thank you for the comfort of the Spirit of God. We thank you for your Holy Spirit to be right there in that room. Father, we just pray that whatever the enemy desires to do with her life, which is to end it, we thank you that you're greater. We thank you that your purpose will be fulfilled and your will shall be done, that she shall walk out of that hospital room because a miracle happened, because you are a miracle worker, Father God. And so we bless her today. We thank you, Father God, that we are able to stand together as brothers and sisters from a distance, knowing that there is no distance in prayer. There is none, Father God. And so we just thank you for having your way. We stand with her right now that she is the healed of the Lord and she is coming out of this as a daughter who has a covenant with you as we're talking about in Jesus' mighty name, amen. So he never deals with your old man. Why? Because he what? Killed it on the cross, okay? That's just an important premise to start with is that in this new covenant, when he looks at you, he does not identify you according to what you have done, although he deals with it. He identifies you according to what Jesus has done for you. Are you following? That is a better promise. Hebrews 8 verse 9, let's continue. It says this. Now this is the covenant that he's making. It says in verse 9, now this is a covenant that is not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant, therefore I what? This new covenant is not based upon us. That cannot happen under the new covenant. How many have failed to live up to your end? And it doesn't mean you have the right to go and do that. That's not the point of this. The point is that his covenant that was of old was based upon you do this and I will do this on, in, in, in response. This one is, I want you to know what I've done for you. Now just believe it. And it says that he disregarded them, says the Lord. Look at verse number 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none of his brothers saying, know the Lord for all shall know me for the, for, from the least of them to the greatest of them. Look at verse 12 and 13. For I will be under this new covenant. He says this, I will be what? Merciful to their unrighteousness. That's hard for humanity. We want his mercy, but it's very hard for us to watch him be merciful to somebody who has done us, yeah. And he says, under this new covenant to my sons and daughters, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. In that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first one obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Last week, I asked you to think about one word while I spoke. Do you remember that? Starts with an I. Intimacy. Thanks for being so bold, Patrick. <laughs> Intimacy. I want you to think about one other word which is vital to having that experience with God is conscience. 
The two go hand in hand. Why is that? Because when you betray your conscience, let's say you did something towards somebody, you owe them money, you have not paid them, how well can you interact with them knowing that they know that you have not paid even though you just took your family out to dinner when you owed them the same amount that you just took your family out? You, you start to break intimacy, and this is why it happens in marriages, it happens with families, is that when we break conscience or we do something, we're stealing our time on the job, what happens? It's, it's tough for us to have a connection with our, 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 the company that we work for. The same thing is true when it comes to intimacy with God, and I want you to see what he's done for us. He wants to have an intimate relationship with us. Now, please, hear me. When I say that word, I realize there's two people in this room, one who you feel guilty a lot. You feel like you are constantly disappointing God. And then there's the other group who goes, well, I really don't feel that way. Here's the other group. You just don't have a love for God. What I mean by that is you just, you don't even really think about him a lot. He's really not even the priority of your day. Now, that's, that's okay for what we're talking about. But what I'm saying is that he longs for a relationship with us. Intimacy doesn't just mean goosebumps and great feelings all day long that is not the goal of intimacy intimacy is where i am vulnerable to him and he has been vulnerable to me that we are open with each other i'm i'm free to be who i am before his presence because he sees no what fault in me that allows me now to bring my issue or a sin before him without feeling like that's who i am that creates a whole new level of intimacy between me and God. So now I'm no longer downtrodden or ashamed of who I am and I stay away from the presence of God or I can't lift my hands because he knows the crazy thoughts that are going through my mind. No, I can actually dialogue with him about the challenges that I'm facing. But he's done something which is called the thing we're talking about today. He's cleaned our conscience in this new covenant. And we're going to work toward that statement that I just made. After reading these verses over this past week, here's the thought or conclusion that came to my mind. We are no longer under the weight or the pressure of the law, which is to perform for God. Okay, are you following me so far? I, as a son of God, a son of my father, and you being a daughter or a son, I no longer have to live with a pressure to perform for him. That is no longer the covenant that we have together. So he is not looking at me and going, ah, almost, come on, well, let's do better tomorrow. Uh, six, uh, oh, you're four. Uh, oh, you got a nine. And he's not impressed with my goodness toward him. Actually, the Bible says that all of our righteousness is like what? Filthy rags before him. But after I'm saved, I can take that thing that is weak, that thing that is broken, I can present it to him and he's pleased with it. Why? Because I've done it in faith. I've trusted in the one who is perfect. So I no longer, you no longer have to live with a pressure to perform for him. In order for this to be better, I must now step right and do exactly the thing I'm supposed to do on this tightrope called life. And if I wobble or fall off, man, then I screwed myself back up and I have to go back and I have to do it again because I know he can't be pleased with how well I did this. And so the pressure now is lifted, but now I'm under a different weight. It's a light weight. It's like, a, it's like a, somebody throwing a thousand, actually you can't say pounds, but a thousand feathers on your shoulder. But it's called grace. 
And this grace actually empowers me to live the life that he's called me to live. So I see what he desires from me. And under the old covenant, I go, okay, God, I can do this. We wake up and we go, okay, God, I can pray really, really good. And God, I can love really, really good. And God, I'm going to read my Bible really, really well today. And I'm going to memorize a lot, a lot of scripture today. And so the more that we do those, the more we feel like, man, I'm cool. You think I'm cool? I got, I got this going on. And then we, we falter. And then what happens? This is disconnected because it was based upon who? Me. Under the new covenant, I realize, okay, God, man, I love your word. I, I can't wait to serve you. I can't wait to worship you. I can't wait to live my life for you. But I know it's not out of my devotion that you're impressed. It's out of Jesus' devotion that you are impressed by. It's not my commitment to you. It's not my dedication to you, which we love to, to, to honor people. Oh, man, they're so dedicated to the things of God. They're so committed to the things of God. Well, you probably don't live with them. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not that they're all bad. It's just the fact that some may be more dedicated, but we still all falter. So now I live a life, and I look at Christ, and I go, Christ, what you've done for me has allowed me to be free to live for my God. And now God says, okay, Jesus turns to me and goes, man, I give you something that's powerful, a grace. And this grace now will give you the power to live the life that I've called you to. So when I look in the word, and I see certain things, I don't go, man, I can't do that, Lord. I, I just can't. He goes, no, no, no. My grace is sufficient for you so in your weakness that's where I become strong Justin that's the point of this whole life that you're called to live is now you can go and be a pastor but it's under the grace of God that you're a pastor it's not in your own strength because if it's in your own strength then the people get you and when they get you there's no power there there's no transformation but if I can now under the grace of God and the anointing of God minister to you and be a pastor then it doesn't break me because now I'm not dependent upon you when I'm, we're, we're in a marriage, Sarah and I, is that we need a grace to love each other. We need a grace to serve each other. We need, it's all about the grace of God to fulfill what he's called us to do. Now look at Philippians 2.13. And again, if you ever see me just take a passage, I would just encourage you to jot it down, but look at the ones before and after. It's extremely important. For time's sake, I just can't always do that. But it says this, for God is what? So I get this life that I'm called to live. I'm now looking. I'm trusting in Christ. I'm grateful for the new life that he's given to me. I, I see a future ahead of me of serving God. I don't know what that looks like, but I know this. I believe what? God, you're working in me. And what is he working in us? He is giving me something. And anytime somebody gives you something, what do you have to do? Receive. So every day, and I'm not saying I do this functionally or religiously, but I have to receive what? a desire to obey you. Father, I just received today the desire to obey your word and to obey what you expect of me. And I also thank you, Father, that you're what? You're giving me the power to do this. And so when I screw up with, with our kids, we screw up often. Sarah and I were just talking the other day if slapping was allowed. It's, obviously, it's not allowed, so we don't do it. But we, I asked the Lord, Lord, give me a desire to obey you as a father. To know what it takes to be a father, but also give me what? The power to obey you. So I can actually be empowered to be the right good father that my daughters need for me to be. And now I'm receiving something from him. Are you following me still? So with the new covenant, sin no longer is the issue that God is dealing with. And a resounding amen goes throughout the entire building. 
Sin is no longer the issue. That he dealt with sin on the cross. He who knew no sin became what? Sin. So when Jesus became sin, he embodied everything. All of your sin, all of my sin was embodied upon Jesus on that cross. And now all the wrath and all the justice that you and I deserved for breaking his law, all was now directed toward one man. And that's why it was so horrific what he went through because he was embodying and taking the punishment that every single one of us deserved on that cross and the wrath of God killed him. And it says in Isaiah 53.10 that it pleased Yahweh to what? Crush his son. Why? So that he could now have a relationship with you and I that had nothing to do with sin. It had everything to do with who you are to him and who he is for you. So what is he dealing with if it's no longer a sin issue? The question is this. Will you believe it? The only difference with all of us in this room is not our commitment. It's not our devotion. It's not how good of a Christian we are or how much we pray. That is not the difference in this room. It's one thing. Who believes what he said the most? Do you believe that you are completely forgiven and he remembers your sins no more? Okay, I just want to, I want to camp here for a minute because many of us deal with a sin or guilt-ridden conscience. Do you know what that is? That means that you are very focused on your shortcomings. How many know your shortcomings? And they come up a lot, right? How many know your longcomings? <laughs> is that when you are focused on you, that means one thing. You're not believing the reality and the ma majesty of the gospel. And it feels good to be here. Me and Tony were talking about this other day. It feels like I deserve this. I deserve to feel bad. I, I deserve to not feel close with God. It happened to me this morning when I woke up. Uh, uh, this morning I went down to the kitchen to look over my message and pray. And I started to say these words. Father, I just received from you. And I stopped because I felt like, but who are you to receive just like that? Like, warm up a little bit to him. Like... You know what I'm saying? Like, those thoughts went through my mind. They used to be different thoughts, but now they're like, warm up. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, warm up to who? To God? Oh, sorry, God. Okay, let's warm up a little bit. I love you. I love you. I love you. All right, now I'm in receiving mode. And so what happens is, it's about believing this. He said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. If you ever do something unrighteous, what are you to believe? That he'll be toward you hard, isn't it? And it's all about one thing, believing. So we want to now camp out in our conversation with God on one thing, my unrighteousness, which is attached to my unworthiness. And so we go, God, I'm so what? Oh, I'm so sorry, Father God, for being such a doofus. And Lord, please just forgive me. Lord, I, I know you're probably so this and you're probably so this. And, and I can just see him saying, will you believe what I said about it? Will you receive my mercy? Yeah, but God, I just don't deserve your, that's the point. The mercy is for those who don't deserve it. That's why I'm extending it to you. Look at Hebrews 9.28. That should be on the screen, Eli. It says, so Christ was offered how many times? 
Okay, this is a new covenant we're talking about. Christ was offered once to bear what? Never again will he ever be offered to bear the sins of people. Because he doesn't have to be. Romans, uh, I believe it's 4, 25 says that he was given over to the cross because of our transgression. So he went to the cross because of what I did. But he was raised from the dead because of what? My justification. So the proof that God looks at me and says, that satisfied my fault toward Justin, is I raised Jesus from the dead. There I, can, I can therefore now declare Justin justified in my presence. And so he died once and for all for the sins of many. To those, now look at this, who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from what? So he's not coming back for those who are perfect. He's not coming back for those who don't sin anymore. He's coming back to get his sons and daughters who believed what he did for them 2,000 years ago. This idea of function, for some of you who are new here, there's a phrase that was started early on at New Day and was God is relational before he's what? Functional. Now function, a simple definition of function would be this, a transactional way of relating with God. That function is calling all of us back. And it's saying this, come on, be a better what? Christian, be a better Christian. Be a better Christian. You want to be close to God? Do this and do this and do this. And so what happens is we drift off into a place of now everything is a transaction with God. If I pray more, I'll have more what? Anointing. If I am good enough, I'll have more favor with God. And so what happens is we're trying to transact. Everything in our day becomes transactional. If I did bad, guess what I now expect? It's called karma and it has nothing to do with the gospel. Our life is not based upon if I do this, this happens to me. If I do this, this will happen to me. If I'm good, then good things are going to happen to me. No, sometimes crazy, yucky things happen to very good people. He promised he would deliver us from all of those things that we go for, through. But persecution belongs to the righteous just as it does the unrighteous. Now look at this. Function or a transactional way of relating with God, it actually is the most appealing. Why? Because you can measure it. You can measure your relationship with God. When it's not functional, the only way you can measure your relationship with God is one thing, Jesus. So you no longer are looking in the mirror and going, oh, I'm not good, or man, I'm doing great. You look at him and you go, I put my faith in Jesus who is the author and the perfecter of my faith. That's where my confidence comes from. But we're all getting drawn away. So look at this. We're going to do now Galatians. We're going to hit chapter 5. Then we're going to go to chapter 3 and chapter 1. We're going to kind of reverse the order of the book. Go to Galatians 5, Eli. He says, let me be clear. This is coming from the Passion Translation. You can read it in another translation that you like. He says, let me be clear. The anointed one has set us what? Free, not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth of what? Freedom and stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. Why, why do we have to refuse to go back if it's a bondage? 
because that's how we feel good with God. This is where we, religion says, I will make it look like a perfect little box that you can, you can feel good about. Jesus looked at the Pharisees. He said, man, your cup is so clean on the outside, but inwardly you know that you're not free. So he's saying there's a freedom that he has given to us and we must stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our fast. So what are we free from? It's not free just from sin. It's not free from who you used to be. You're free from what? The pressure of the law to perform from God. Now, many of us do not experience this freedom. Can I get an amen? Okay. Some of you, when you wake up, you feel like there's something you must do in order to make this right or better. True or no? And that there's a pressure to be what? A better Christian. And how do you measure better? Who's the best Christian in here? John. Good job, man. <laughs> Who's the most prideful person in here? So how do you measure good? How do you measure being a better Christian? Do you measure it based upon your behavior? Then all it becomes is some self-help. And so I can just teach you, hey, how to, be, how to talk better, how to think better, how to be nicer to this person. And then what I do is I just function you to a place of conformity to what? A religious mold. And what I'm saying is he says you, you stubbornly refuse to go back to what? Living under that pressure of performing for God. Because we want God to feel like you chose me, I want you to feel des like I'm deserving of that choice. No, you're not. And you never will be, but he still loves you. And he still sees you just like he sees the son, Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 2. I, Paul, tell you, if you think, and I wanted to highlight that, if you think there is a benefit in what? Circumcision and the Jewish regulations. Now, he's talking to a Jewish people, a Jewish community. So I want to go a little bit further. If you think there's a benefit to you striving hard after God, to you seeking hard after God, to you praying hard after God, if you think there's a benefit to it, when it comes to your relationship with God, he says, then you're acting as though Jesus, the anointed one, is not what? Do you seek after God? Yes. Do you pray? Yes, you do. But you do it from a place of he is enough. Now, look at this. I say it again emphatically. If you let yourselves be what? So they were, the, 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 the subject of the conversation was, if you're going to be God's people, if you're going to be under God's covenant and his blessing, you have to be circumcised that's what that's what we do it's what the bible says all throughout all these other pages back here is hey you need to be circumcised to declare to everybody you are the people of god but he says it, i say it again if you let yourselves be what circumcised then you are obliged to fulfill every single one of the commandments and the regulations of the law look at verse four if you want to be made holy by what? Obligations of the law. How are you made holy? By what? Receiving. How are you made pure? By stopping, stop watching certain Netflix shows? Are you pure because you stop going certain places? Does that make you pure? No. Nope. It's good to stop certain things. But how are you made pure? By receiving his purity. The way that you become in the kingdom is by what? Receiving. 
that is so hard because he says, if you want to be made what? Don't we all want to be holy? So how do I going to be holy? He says it right here. The way that you become holy then was what? Fulfill the obligations of the law. But what if you don't? Then you're not holy. And therefore, your conscience is what? Not clear before God. And if you're not holy, how can a holy God have you in a relationship? And so what you do is you distance yourself from a holy God, go clean yourselves up, stop watching, listening to certain things, and then feel a little bit better, and now you can access God again. And all you did is you now became something by doing something. He says, you have cut off more than your flesh. You have cut yourselves off from the anointed one and have fallen away from what? A revelation of grace. So there's two gospels. Now these are my own terms, but there's two that you're going to clearly see in Galatians. I call it a relational gospel and a functional gospel. A relational one is one of grace. A functional one is one of law. Galatians chapter 3 says these words. Now, I'm building my case to something. This is a new covenant we're trying to understand. Actually, I didn't put it up there. Don't put that up there just yet. It says, O foolish Galatians, what magician has cast an evil spell on you? For you used to see the meaning of Christ's death as clearly as though I had shown you a signboard with a picture of Christ dying on a cross. So let me ask you this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by keeping the law? No, okay, that's a good answer. <laughs> of course not. For the Holy Spirit came upon you after you what? Believed the message you heard about Christ. That's how this all started was what you did what? You believed. Have you lost your mind or your senses after starting your Christian life in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human efforts? Isn't that what we do? That Christ died for me. Lord, I thank you for my salvation. I'm now going to heaven. But now I'm going to, I'm going to live this life for you the best that I possibly can. And so we start to work hard and strive hard. And, but we never feel like, God, man, me and you are we're good. And so because we never feel it, maybe we double down and we try harder and we serve more and we give more and we worship more and sometimes we're like, you know what, I can't do this anymore. Many of you in this room, probably more than 50% have had a conversation with me of going, I'm worn out. I feel like me and God are never good. Like I just can't live up to the standard that he has for me. You've fallen away from the revelation of what? Of grace. Now this one's going to be on the screen. I want you to see this. Galatians chapter 1, Eli. It says, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for what? Our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil or age according to the will of God and our Father. Verse 5. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel. Paul is saying this to that same group of people. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into what? The grace of Christ to a different gospel. He, so he says there is a gospel called the grace of Christ and many of you are turning away to a what? A different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and they want to pervert the what? Gospel of Christ, verse eight. But even if we, 
or an angel from heaven preach to you another gospel uh, to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. There is a desire in all of us for somebody to tell us, tell me what to do, tell me how to do it. I just want to be a better Christian, and I want to be closer to God. And I'm saying to you, there is a gospel that is the power of God under salvation, and it's proclaiming to us a new covenant that all of us have with the God who he made it between he and himself. We weren't even a part of it. We are recipients or beneficiaries of a covenant and an oath that he made between he and himself, and he cannot lie. And he says, I've given you and I've granted you a new covenant. And this new covenant is one of grace. I know this word has taken its punches over the last number of years. I know it has been perverted. It's been thrown around. I'm not sure where you stand with this. All I ask you to do, go search the scriptures. And many of you I've heard, this has been so delightful. When you read the Bible, you go, it's all in here. It's all throughout. It's not like I sat down and did anything with the study with you. It's like your lens changed. And when your lens changes, you start to go, well, even the definitions and the words seem like there's grace all in those kind of things. <laughs> it's, it's remarkable. You start to see it everywhere under the new covenant. And you start to see yourself differently. You start waking up and you're no longer so consumed by self and the issues that you have, you start to focus now on what Christ has done for you. And now you're grateful for what he's done for you. You're not saddened over the fact that you're not perfect. And look at Acts chapter 20, verse 32. And so now, Paul is writing to the, the people that he's about to leave. He's about to go on his last and, and embark to Jerusalem. He says this, And so now I entrust you into the hands and the message of his grace which is all that you need to become strong. Now look at this. All, how many? All. Of God's blessings are imparted through the message of his grace. How many want the blessings of God? Now hear me. You want this, so what do you have to do for his blessings? I know, but what do you do? I know many of us don't receive. We like, we function. We go, okay, God, um, so this season of life, I really need some favor, and I really need a better job. So what do I, Lord, I will serve you so well if you'll do this. Or how many people have said, Lord, I'm so sorry, I'm waking up, you have my life. I'm going to give you my life, but Father, all I ask is just that you... I want your blessing. And so what we do is we exchange something for something that he has. When he says, it's all yours. And many of us are the older brother in the prodigal son story who just go, how dare, what does he get a party for? Like he wasted all of our father's money and now our dad is celebrating him? How stupid is that? And we, we, we sit over there and go, wait, I've been here. We, we, we look at our what? Our faithfulness. And go, wait, I exchanged my faithfulness. Where is every? He goes, son, you could have had it any 
time you wanted, but you were trying to transact with me. And he says, all of God's blessings are imparted through the message of his grace, which he provides as a spiritual inheritance given to his holy ones. 11.19, okay, give me 10 more minutes, here we go. There is a, as we said it before, a new sheriff, there's a new priest in town. And what this priest does is he cleanses every single one of our consciences toward God. Now, he's done that, but because we haven't believed it, many of us live with guilt, shame, and condemnation. I've heard some wonderful stories here at New Day where somebody sat me down and says, I finally have learned to forgive myself. Do you know how freeing that is? Not only to learn how to forgive others, not only to learn how to forgive yourself, but ultimately, like Megan said, sometimes you have to forgive God because he's disappointed you so greatly in what you expected from him because you were what? Transactional. Do you know God can't disappoint me because he's given me everything that I would need? I no longer am transacting like, God, if I pastor this church and I do it well for 15 years, will you watch over my kids? How many are surprised when something bad happens to a good family? Because we felt like, wait, that's so unfair. They served him, they give, they love God, and now God allowed that to happen to them? And so we live in this way of transacting with God. Hebrews 9 says this. Follow me along if you can on the screen. Hebrews 9, verse 9 we'll start with. It was symbolic. Now, what I'm about to share with you, the first eight verses are about what the priesthood was like and what the old tabernacle was like in the covenant, okay? So I'm just going to continue with that. It says, it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifice are, are offered. Now, look at this. Which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the... So even the priest did not have a clear conscience before God. Because the old covenant could not provide that. It only could forgive you for a moment, but you knew exactly where you were lacking. He said, concerned with only foods and drinks, various washings, fleshly ordinances, imposed until the time of reformation. I know that some of that doesn't make sense yet, but now look at verse 11. But Christ, verse 11. Is it back there? There it is. But Christ came as what? a high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle that wasn't made with hands, not of this creation. It's not with the blood of goats and the blood of calves, but with his what? His own precious blood. He entered the most holy place. He entered this place where no one was allowed to go because of his own blood once and for all. And he obtained. It's like in there he got, he goes... I got the redemption. And now he can just go, you are redeemed, you are redeemed, you are redeemed, you are redeemed, you are redeemed and justified, forgiven, redeemed, redeemed, redeemed. And many of us, as I showed you before, we walk around like this. And we never once partake it. Yeah, we're redeemed, but it doesn't change the way that we're living. It's not changing the way that we think. Why? Because we're, we're redeemed, but we still are holding on to it with our old man. And now we're still dealing with God about who, how bad we are and 
how shortcoming we are, and man, I just never can, I can't live up to this, I can't do this. No, 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 he says, oh, wait, 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 receive it. Partake of what I gave to you. Apply it to your own life by receiving it. If they had, remember in the uh, time where they were getting delivered out of Egypt? He said, take the blood and do what? Apply it to the doorpost, and as the angel of the Lord hovers over, it's why it's called the Passover, and he looks at a door, if the door has what? It means it doesn't matter who's in the what? That's crazy. It only matters if he sees the... So when you finally just receive the blood, he sees you that way. Why? Because he sees you because of the blood. And now he passes over judgment on your life. Why? Because you are his redeemed son who actually believed the gospel. You believe that if I apply this to my life, he won't see me ever like he used to see me. He'll see me without fault. Now look at verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, 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 sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the pairing of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Jesus Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without what? Spot to God. So Jesus was the perfect spotless lamb of God. And it says he will cleanse your conscience from what? Any work that you try to do to earn something with him. I no longer have to live trying to earn something with God. I get a look at the lamb and I go, the lamb was perfect and he was slain before the foundations of the world. I get to enjoy the new covenant benefits because of him. And I get to enjoy God now. That is our tagline on our website. I know it doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people, but for me that is significant. I hope at the end of the day you learn that you can enjoy God because he delights in you. You are his son and you are his daughter. And even as I'm saying that, thoughts are coming through your mind going, but is that true about until you finally say, I believe it? And sometimes, and I, I, I think it was a conversation with Tony, I'm not sure we, we have a lot of conversations. So you have to go over it and over it. Two hours later, I believe that about me, Father. I believe that your blood cleansed me so that I don't have to live with that guilt, shame, and condemnation. Two hours later, and it comes back, and that's why a lot of people go, uh, this is not, yep, like the gospel is supposed to work like that. Like, oh, it's not working. Okay, well, take it back, and uh, maybe you can go back to the old gospel. Uh, verse 15, uh, actually, Ryan, you can come up. There's a, a dream that Peter got. He had a vision on top of a roof. It happened three times, and God was sending him to the Gentile people. And this is what God said to Peter. He said, what God has cleansed, you must not call unholy. Did, has God cleansed you? Yes. Are you unworthy? No. Don't ever call yourself what God has not no. said that you are. What God has cleansed, let no man ever say it's unholy. And I know you may feel unholy at times, and it's hard to lift your hands and worship God. That's when you do it by faith. There's times when I stand here on Sunday, I don't know where crazy thoughts come from, but they're crazy at times. And I just have to say, Father, I do this because I trust in what your blood of your son has done for my life, that I am free to worship you without you looking at me and going, you're such a hypocrite. No, because I'm doing this by faith in what Jesus has done for me. And the final verse 
and Hebrews 9.15, if you can, that's the last slide, Eli, if you want to put it up there. Verse 15, if you're still back there. It says, and for this reason, he is the mediator of what? A new covenant. By means of death, for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant, that those who are called may what? Receive. We're going to receive communion just now. The body represents the broken body of Jesus on the cross. The little juice in here represents the blood that was shed for you. I want to do this over the next couple weeks because I want you to come to the point, if you can, to partake of this and go, I receive it. And walk away going, I believe this. That I walk away justified, I walk away redeemed, I walk away sanctified and holy. Why? Because I look at Jesus who is the author and the perfecter of my faith. That's the only reason I believe about myself the way that I do is because of what Jesus has done. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of what I've done for you. That this is not about you living perfectly and so devoted to God. You will falter and when you do, put your trust in the cross and put your trust in Jesus who he says, I'm with you every step of the way. So would you please stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask Jason and I'm going to ask Jim. Jim, will you come up and just administer the elements? As we sing this final song, I'm going to ask that you just come up and receive and just believe. And you can stay around and sing the song with us. You can feel free to go home after that. It's up to you. I want to thank you for being with us this morning. But I want to thank you most for hearing the word of God and listening. I'm telling you if you believe this, it has profound impact on the way that you live your life for God because you no longer are living with a weight that you're carrying of God, I hope that I'm pleasing you. No, you live, you live free. You live like, man, what is this? It's freedom. It's freedom. So, Father, we just bless you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the new covenant that you have solidified with mankind, Father God. We receive today. Teach us how to receive from you. Teach us how to believe your word, to believe what you've done for us. In those moments where we miss the mark, Father, we receive your discipline and your correction. But we thank you for what Jesus has done. For the blood that was shed for us, for the body that was broken for us. And Father, we pray for Kathy and that lady we just prayed for, Father God. We pray in Jesus' name that we are going to hear of a testimony that comes from you. In Jesus' name, amen.